Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this time. And right now, God, we just want to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit present. Father in heaven, we pray and ask that time we leave this service, we know you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Very good. Now, how many people had a chance to come to Agape Feast last, uh, last night? Amen. We probably had one of our highest attendants at the Agape Feast. Uh, I believe it was over 120. So that was just a blessing. It was a wonderful time for God's people to come together, consecrate ourselves. We ended with a candlelight consecration. The Spirit of the Lord was present. Amen? God is up to some very, very special things. I'm going to share a quote from you, a quote with you found from C.S. Lewis, and it says this, Christianity, if false, is of what? No importance. I mean, if it's not real, then it really doesn't matter. I mean, going to church, reading your Bible, doing praying, whatever it is. If it's not real, none of that stuff matters. But notice what he says next. And if true, of what? Infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is what? Moderately important. Ladies and gentlemen, either it's real 100% or it's completely false and we're wasting our time. And if it's real, God calls us to give everything to this. Amen? Amen. You know what's so amazing about 2015? I believe God has so much in store. This is the year of being renewed, restored, and revived. Amen? And uh, this is going to be the year of a, a ministry of healing. This is going to be a time where we actually start using the health message in a very productive, Christ-centered way and, sh- and be able to share a message of healing and health to this entire world. I'm really excited about this year because I have some uh, uh, very special sermon series that are lined up. I'm going to be talking about America the Great Experiment. America, the great experiment, and that's going to be a sermon later on in the year where I'm going to actually talk about the, the prophetic origins of this country and the prophetic destiny that awaits this country in found in Revelation chapter 13. If there ever is a time to hear a relevant message like that, it is going to be then. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be called America, the Great Experiment, Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. We're also going to be covering the mystery of the sanctuary. We've heard so much about the sanctuary, but we need to understand what is its importance to us today. You know what's very interesting? The sanctuary service was composed of several different parts. It was composed of, of the plans of the sanctuary, of the sacrifice, of the, the holy place ministry, and the most holy place ministry. And then, you know, the, the final judgment. But what is so interesting about this plan that God sent out, the only thing that was ever visible to humanity was the sacrificial part of the sanctuary service. In other words, the only thing that we ever saw, part of heaven's redemption plan, was Jesus coming to this world and dying, and then he disappears. And the question is, wait a minute, what else is he doing now? And so that's going to be a sermon series that we're going to be talking about a little later in the year. So look forward to these things. You know, I was actually looking online, and if you might have noticed this too, it was on the front page, uh, a very uh, historical thing took place recently. Anybody here ever been to Yosemite? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. Anybody ever seen El Capitan? Very good. Uh, What was so historic and momentous, two climbers actually climbed the face of El Capitan, 3,000 feet up. 13 days it took them. What is so interesting was when I was uh, in Yosemite 2000 and I think it was 2003, two Japanese climbers attempted to do that and died on that rock face. You want to know why? They froze to death. So imagine 13 days of climbing. You're there. Now you're wondering, wait a minute, how do they go to the bathroom? Where do they sleep? It's very interesting. Just look online and see the interesting pictures of, I believe it was Tommy Cadwell and Kevin Jorgensen. 13 days, they went up and they climbed the face of Al Capitan. They finally reached the top. They did something that nobody has done before. In fact, one of the climbers actually remarked, 
that when he was to this certain point, that uh, it was this interesting gorge that was on the face. Um, rock, uh, actually it was a rock, uh, I forget the word for it, it was just jutting out. And uh, when he got to that place, before he got to that place, he was asking himself the question, will this even happen? Will this even happen? Could not even get to that place. In fact, last time there was a climber who attempted to do that, he actually had to be rescued off that part that jutted out. It was interesting, they say that he was so arrogant that when the rescuers came to pick him up, and he refused being rescued from them if he offered them a glass of juice. But what's interesting is these two rock climbers, when they finally reached that point, they knew they were going to make it the rest of the way. And the reason I bring this up is because God is calling His church to surmount new heights, to go through a, a greater experience, to have a deeper experience with God, to go the next level, to have a higher experience with Jesus. God is calling His church to do this. Can you say amen to that? And what we're going to be learning today is just somehow, just how we can tune up the church a little bit more so that we can continue growing. Can you say amen to that? By the way, I just have an announcement for you. We're going to be talking about this during our church board. For the first time in three years, we have reached our church budget. Can you say amen to that? Now, the reason why I think that's quite amazing is because we actually did it at a time that we had a church plant. All the naysayers were saying, wait a minute, if you do a church plan, that's going to rob the church of its resources. But they forgot one thing, and that is the principle of heaven. The more you give, the more you receive. Amen? Thank you for everybody who was committed to seeing this church grow and the Patterson Church grow. Today we're going to be talking about resolutions for every single church member. Every single church member, whether you're a church member of the Series 7th Avenue Church or some other church, these resolutions are for you. So make sure you take some notes, make sure you are writing this down on your iPad or iPhone, whatever it is. Make sure you are taking notes. Alright ladies and gentlemen. Before we go into this, we're going to do just a um, preparation, some preparation for this. I want you to scoot next to somebody right now in the church. Like there should be no islands. No one should be alone. Everyone should be in pairs or you can be in threes or fours, but no more than fours. And if you see somebody sitting alone, just call them to sit next to you right now, okay? You guys are getting very cozy. I like that. So make sure everybody, Dave Fuller, who are you sitting next to? Okay, you're lucky right there. Okay, everybody else sitting next to somebody? I'm going to go through the aisles now. Good job, Todd. Anybody else? Everyone should be sitting next to somebody. Okay, very, very good. Okay, everybody sitting next to you. Okay, is there anybody here alone? Well, besides me, the Lord and His angels are with me. Okay. Let's go, okay. Alright, I'm going to be asking you some questions, okay? We're going to do this service a little bit different, okay? I'm going to ask a question, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, okay? But it's very important that when it's time to finish, that we continue, okay? So, when I say, alright, that's enough, everybody stop talking, okay? Alright, here's the first question. I want you to turn in your little group. Here it is. What prayer should be part of my 2015 prayer life? Now, go ahead and turn to the person next to you. You have about a minute and a half to discuss this, Okay? What prayer should be part of your 2015 prayer life? What prayer should be part of your 2015 prayer life? Okay, you can stop right now. Okay. Real quick, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to tell me what important prayer should be part of your 2015 prayer life. Yes, Gary. Good health. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Yes. For the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? Yes. Praying for the Holy Spirit. Yes. What? You want somebody to hold your hand? Okay. Oh, you want the Lord to hold your hand. Okay. Very good. Anybody else? Yes, Taurus. Wait, what is it? Not be so rude for people. Eh? To people. Amen. Yes, Paul? Praying for the series church. Nicole? More organization. Praise the Lord. Okay, very good, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do one more. Marta. 
What is it? Faithfulness. Okay, very good. Now, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. There's so much to be praying about, okay? What I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be asking a question. I'm going to set before you somebody who was an example of this, and then I'm going to articulate a resolution every church member should have. It's very interesting. When you go to the book of Daniel, Daniel epitomizes what a godly prayer life should look like. In fact, you read multiple times, Daniel is praying, Daniel is praying, Daniel is praying. From Daniel chapter 2, to Daniel chapter 4, to Daniel chapter 6 and 7 and 9, Daniel was a man who was praying. In fact, what is so amazing about the book of Daniel, is that Daniel was somebody who the Bible says prayed ever since he was a young person. He epitomized what a godly prayer looked like, godly prayer life looked like. What is amazing is when you read the first part of Daniel, Daniel gets a vision and he sees that uh, nations are changing. He sees from one nation go to another nation to go to another nation. And then he receives another vision later on in his life where he actually sees the very individuals that will be involved in the transition of those nations. But then when you fast forward and read Daniel chapter 9, what you discover, Daniel begins to recognize and see that angels were behind the transition of these nations. So what's happening to Daniel? Why is it when you're reading the first part of Daniel, it really doesn't speak too much about angels, but then the last half of Daniel is full of angel-angelic encounters. And the reason why is because as Daniel's prayer life becomes more and more stronger, heaven is becoming more and more open to him. People who pray more are surrounded with an atmosphere of heaven. In fact, watch this. Take your Bible and go to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. I want you to see a kind of prayer life that Daniel had. Daniel chapter 9. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Notice what the Bible says right here. This is very remarkable. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make what? Request by prayer and supplications with what? Fastings, sackcloth, and ashes. Notice this. You really don't see this in the early part of Daniel's prayer life. But as his prayer life is growing, all of a sudden, he's getting more and more intense in his prayer experiences. Let's continue reading. I prayed to the Lord my God and made what? Confession and said, O Lord God, great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and those who keep His commandments, we have what? Sinned. Now the reason why this is so remarkable, because the Bible says over and over again about Daniel that he was faultless. You hear what I just said? In fact, his enemies couldn't find anything. They said he was without fault. Yet in the book of Daniel, Daniel is confessing more sin than anybody else. The man who was considered to have no fault was confessing more sin. Ladies and gentlemen, a good sign of spiritual growth is when you're praying less about external changes and more about internal changes. And that's when you begin to see real spiritual growth in people. Instead of simply praying, God change this situation, change that person, you find people are praying, Lord change my character, make it more Christian. Amen? And this is a sign of growth. And you see Daniel having this kind of experience. Here Daniel is, the man who was the Bible says was flawless, yet he himself is confessing sin than anybody else in all of Scripture in the book of Daniel. In fact, go to verse 20. Daniel chapter 9. Now while I was speaking, praying, and what? Confessing what? My sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking, the man Gabriel, who I seen in vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me at the time of the evening offering. And do you know what Gabriel gives to Daniel? He gives him a prophecy, probably the most precise prophecy about the Messiah. As Daniel's prayer life grew, his revelation of who God was grew more and more. If there ever is a need for God's people to have a powerful prayer life, it is now. But the question is, what sort of things should be part of my prayer experience 2015? 
Take a good look at this. Number one, to be praying for what? In fact, when you read the Lord's Prayer, does the first part of the Lord's Prayer begin? God, please forgive my sin. God, help me to do a good job. Give me my daily bread. What's the first part of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. What's that next phrase? Thy kingdom, what? Do you know what that is a prayer for? That's a prayer for what? The church. It's a prayer, a blessing upon God's kingdom. And the church is God's kingdom. And so what should become more and more part of our prayer life 2015 is that we need to be praying for our church as a whole in the entire world, but our local church. So many people complain about the local church, but they don't even pray for their local church. And we have no right to complain if we're not spending a lot of time in prayer. You know, I heard Ravi Zacharias put it this way. He says this, Before you tell those people about Jesus, tell Jesus about those people. Amen? We need to spend time praying for our church. And we need to ask that God would bless His church with growth, with conversion, with blessings. But take a good look at that next one. Some of you are saying, Pastor Nell, that's selfish. No, it's not. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm preaching right now. (laughs) You know why you need to be praying for your pastor? Why you need to be praying for the leadership of this church? Because as we're making decisions, we are constantly attacked by Satan. Constantly trying to be deterred or distracted from the mission. And what we have is we end up having these kinds of um, issues that come up as we're trying to do this work more and more and more. You need to be praying for your pastors. You need to be praying that God would keep them converted. And if they're not converted, that they would have a conversion experience. Amen. You need to be praying that God would bless them in the study of the Word of God. You need to be praying that God's angels would protect them. Because as we communicate the word of God, we want the Holy Spirit to make sure that's coming out of from the Lord's mouth. Amen? So you need to be praying for your pastor. Even Paul said, pray for me that a door may be open. He requested prayer from the church. Take a good look at the next thing. Pray for my what? Community. Now how many people here have prayed for Ceres and Modesto? Today. Two people, Joe and David Page. Praise the Lord, prayer warriors. Three people. Here's the thing. We need to be praying for our community. We need to be praying that God would bless them. That revival would awaken. That that people would begin to search and desire truth. So that when we are doing evangelism, the Spirit of God has already prepared hearts. Can you say amen to that? And we as a church family, we need to engage our community a little bit more. Did you know during Ellen White's time, they used to do something. They did what was called temperance rallies. They're like, what's a temperance rally? Now last night, we actually signed a temperance pledge, right? Remember that? We signed a temperance pledge. Ellen White says over and over again, God's people should be signing the temperance pledge. And it's a pledge that saying our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we want to pledge to make a commitment to God that we want it to be honored as such. But what was temperance rallies? Temperance rallies were these times when a lot of God's people and community people would get together. And they would have these rallies, even do these marches throughout the city. And they would go around... And they would do these rallies and marches. And there they would share about temperance. And many people, not Adventists alone, but begin to other people groups begin to join them. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to really be praying about how we can engage the community for 2015. Amen? By the way, did you know on Tuesday, um, many of us, uh, the Patterson Cross trainers and myself were going before town hall. They actually gave us a spot. We got 10 minutes to speak about our church and the programs that we're going to be doing. We need to be praying for Patterson. Amen. Look at the next thing. Praying for a what? A deeper experience with Jesus. Now, how many people need to pray for that prayer experience? Everyone should be raising their hands, right? 
We need to be praying for a deeper prayer, a deeper experience with Jesus. We need to pray that God would challenge us, that He would change us, that He would give us brand new opportunities. You need to write this stuff down. You want to know why? Because when you're praying and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to pray about, you can go back to this list and you can say, I know what to pray about. I'm going to pray for my church. I'm going to pray for my pastor. I'm going to pray for my community. And I'm going to pray for a deeper experience with Jesus. And the Lord wants to grant that prayer, right? All right, let's go to question number two. Why is my attendance at church necessary? Go back to your group real quickly. I'm going to give you just about a minute, okay? And I want you to discuss why your attendance at church is necessary. Okay, so let's do that right now. And if you're alone, and if you see somebody's alone, just bring them right into your group. Why is my attendance at church necessary? Why does it even matter? This is a series church tune-up, and a guitar that is tuned well sounds well. All right, let's stop right now. Okay, I want to hear some answers. Why is attendance at church necessary? Alex? Fellowship, very good. Anybody else? Yes, Todd? We're not an army of one. I love that. Very good. Yes? Learning about Jesus. Anybody else? Why is your attendance at church necessary? Millie? That's right. Very good. It's a, it's a time of corporate worship. Anybody else? Why is attendance at church even necessary? Mary? To encourage one another. Amen. Anybody else? Yes. Harlan? That's right. In other words, there are special opportunities in which God pours out His Spirit. That's why they practice or had feast days throughout the Old Testament. These were times for God's people to come together. Now everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to a very familiar passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. If you have one of these Bibles, it's found in page 1154. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Let me just like tape this to my chest right now. Okay. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's start with verse 23. Are you there? Okay, this is very interesting. Hebrews chapter 10 is about the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice the progression. Many times we quote from this passage, but when we actually look at the context of this passage, it's mind-blowing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Look what the Bible says, or hear what the Bible says. Let us hold fast the confession of our what? Our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another... In order to stir up what? Love and good works. Not forsaking the what? Assembling of ourselves together. But notice the next part. As in the manner of such, but exhorting what? One another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Ladies and gentlemen, as the second coming becomes closer and closer, what should increase in God's people? A coming together. In fact, when you look at the early church, their assembling of each other grew more and more. And as we get closer to the second coming, this needs to grow more and more. What is so amazing, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, that we should come together to encourage, not discourage. Amen? And there's only one thing worse than grumpy people. Grumpy people pretending to be nice. Amen? See, here's the thing. As we come together, it should be a time not for us to bring the worst story that we can come up with, but to come together to be encouraged. And if we don't have anything nice to say, you know what we should do? Better to say nothing at all. Right? This is a time that God is calling His people to come together and to be encouraged. And uh, as the Sabbath day happens, every single seventh day, it is a time for God's people to come together and encourage and lift one another up. Now I want you to do this. I want you to turn back to your group and I want you to say something encouraging to the person next to you. And don't make it up. I'm watching Ed home to see if it's going to be a good encouragement. <laughs> okay, that's enough encouraging. You got the rest of the Sabbath day. Amen? Amen? 
And so here's the thing. This is super important for us to understand, and that is this. God's people need to be regularly meeting together more and more, not just on the Sabbath day. But you should really be praying out, praying about what other thing can I join in when it comes to God's people. Perhaps it's a prayer meeting. Perhaps it's the Friday night prayer dinners that are starting next, next Friday. Perhaps it's a small group. Perhaps it's a ministry. But just be praying, God, how can I come together to be encouraged and encourage others? Amen? So here's your resolution. To be faithful in attending church services, what? Once a year. Is that what it says? Regularly and what? Growing corporately. Now, let me ask you a question. Who here drove at least 30 minutes to be at church this Sabbath? That's pretty impressive. How far did you guys drive? An hour and a half. But that's nothing. Because I know somebody who drives six hours every single weekend to see me preach. And that's Daniel Sight. I mean, sure, he comes to visit his family. I mean, that's important. But this brother works... Daniel, can you stand up? This brother works in Southern California, okay? That's his full-time job. And every single Friday, every single Friday, he drives up to come to church here. Amen? Praise the Lord. I mean, he's here to see Candy and the family as well. I mean, that's important, right? But ladies and gentlemen, we should make no excuse for not coming to church, right? I mean, unless there's something very, very legitimate. But don't let that which is considered legitimate become habit. Because you'll see over and over again, the devil wants to give you new habits, and that is to not come to church. Now let me make it a little bit, step it up a little bit. You ought to be coming to Sabbath school as well. Amen. Amen? You need to be coming to Sabbath school. And if you haven't been coming to Sabbath school, I want to start challenging you to make an effort to start praying, Lord, I want to start coming to Sabbath school. We have many different kinds of Sabbath schools that will bless you. You don't like one Sabbath school? Go to the other Sabbath school. You don't like that Sabbath school? Go to another Sabbath school. You don't like that Sabbath school? Go to the kindergarten Sabbath school. But you need to be involved in Sabbath school. Amen? Because we actually have new people who are showing up during Sabbath school. And it is during a time that people are searching. And it is not during Sabbath school that we're there to give simply answers. As Seventh-day Adventists, we've become good at doing Bible trivia. But there's more to Sabbath school than just giving right answers. Amen? In fact, that's not even a witness. Because you can give a right answer. What is a witness is when you are encouraging those who don't know these truths to come closer to the truths of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And when you're there afterwards and you're encouraging them and showing them the love of God. This is something we as Christians need to be thinking about more and more and more. And I appreciate our Sabbath school teachers because they want to challenge you. What kind of ministries do I have a passion for? By the way, there's only five resolutions, so it's okay. So turn to the person next to you and ask this question. What kind of ministries do I have a passion for? Let me elaborate a little bit more if you don't know what that means. What kind of church ministries do you want, do you think you could be involved in? Perhaps it's Sabbath school. Perhaps it's something like reading a scripture or doing potluck or music ministries or childcare, whatever it is. So turn to the person next to you. No eyes on me. Turn to the person next to you. Okay, let's stop right now. Okay, I want you to answer this question. What kind of ministries do you have a passion for? It doesn't necessarily mean you have, there is one that's existing, but what do you have a passion for? Anybody? Now you're afraid because the pastor may say, Hey, I got a ministry for you, right? What kind of ministries do you have a passion for? What kind of things that you enjoy? Yes. You love telephoning people. Amen. You know, I know people who will come to church simply because somebody will call. Yes, Bruce. Amen. Do you know Bruce passes out glow tracks? He even told me that he passes out glow tracks. He actually went to somebody and they told him that they called the number on the back of the glow track and they said they got Bible studies. So God is using you, Bruce. Anybody else? What's a passion, a ministry you have a passion for? Carmen. Say it again. Community services. Amen. How many people have ever been part of our community service? Amen. That is a thriving ministry. If you don't... 
you have something you need to, don't have something you need to do on Tuesdays, you come to that. Harlan will put you to work or Giselle will put you to work. Anybody else? Yes, Shannon. You love doing Bible studies. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Joe, what do you have a passion for? Prayer and literature distribution. Praise the Lord. And I love the fact that you have a veggie store in your garage. That's my passion. Anybody else? Yes. Mike. Helping people when they come for food. Amen. How about you, Mindy? What do you have a passion for? Motorcycle ministry. Praise the Lord. And you don't even have to own a motorcycle to be part of the motorcycle ministry, right? Just some leather, right? All right. Scott, what do you have a passion for? Music. Say that again. Music ministries and praising God. Amen. Anybody else? I've seen Lorna. Children's ministry. Children's ministry. That's it? That's all you guys have a passion on? Trevor. Say it again. The tech stuff of the church. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, Shannon. What is it? Being a friend, right? Amen. That's one of the most important kinds of ministries we're all called to. What else do you have a passion for? Evangelism. Who said evangelism? All right. Praise the Lord. Brother, you're going to be preaching our next series. You better watch out. Anybody else? What do you have a passion for? Where do you feel like God keeps giving you an opportunity? And as you see this opportunity, you may see a pattern. And that pattern may be God's signpost saying, I want you to get more involved in that. What else do you have a passion for? What do you enjoy doing in the church? Sabbath school. You like teaching Sabbath school? Is that what you're saying, Daniel? Ed, you hear that? You can put Daniel on the list. If you're gone that Sabbath, you got Daniel Esaias. All right, how about you? Let me ask you a question real quickly. Can elderly people be involved in our church? Are you sure? Now, is there a place for very young people to be involved in our church? If there isn't, we're in the wrong church. Right? There should be an opening for every kind of person, new person, old person, new Adventist, old Adventist. Should be a ministry for you. Amen? If you're an ex-Adventist, we will send a ministry to you. Anybody else? Yes. Sherry. What is it? Grief share. And that's a very powerful ministry. I don't know if you know, Sherry runs a ministry that, that helps people process and deal through tragic times. Thank you for that ministry. People call the church all the time wanting to be part of that. So that's it. We have seven people who actually like to do things in the church. Yes, what do you like to do? What's a passion you have in church? Singing. Praise the Lord. Anybody hear that, Max? Anybody else? Yes, Nicole. Children to community service. Praise the Lord. All right, now here's the thing. There's a very interesting passage in Scripture. I want you to see this. It's a very familiar one. And it has to do with talents, okay? So I'm going to read it, then I'm going to ask you a question. For the kingdom of heaven is like a what? A man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave how many talents? Five. And to another he gave what? Two. And to another he gave what? Now notice the next part. To each according to his own what? In other words, God gave that talent according to their what? Abilities. Right? And each one of us has certain abilities that have been given by God. But now I'm going to show, I'm going to give you a surprise right now. The guy that had one talent, how many talents did he make? None. What did he do with his talent? He was afraid to answer when the pastor was calling on him. Right? The guy that had two talents, how many talents did he make? Double. He made two more. The guy that made f- had five talents, how many talents did he make? Wrong. He didn't make five talents. He made six. He made actually five talents at the marketplace, right? But when he went back to the master, the master was so impressed with the faithfulness and diligence, he actually rewarded an extra unusual talent to the man who was faithful. Ladies
ladies and gentlemen, I, I say this because the more you get involved in church, the more God will develop talents. And you will be quite surprised the unusual talents God may develop in you as you are faithful in the ones that He has given to you. In fact, look what Ellen might say is right here. It's so remarkable. So, tomorrow. Is that what it says? Today, while the humble worker for God is following His what? Employment. Angels of God stand by His what? Side, listening to his words, noting the matter in which his work is done. Now notice this next part. To see if what? Larger responsibilities may be what? Entrusted to his hands. The Bible says angels are ministering spirits. So you know what these angels are doing? God is sending them by your side. And they're taking note of how you are doing your work. And they're wondering and questioning, evaluating, determining if you are ready for the next powerful phase God wants to bring you into. But if you're not faithful, those angels shake their head and say, we got to keep trying at this. we got to keep trying until they get to that place of being ready. The Bible says, diligence is a man's precious possession. Make diligence part of everything you do. You don't have to have 50 different kinds of ministries in the church. Find one or two ministries. Throw your heart in that ministry. Make it all you can make it. Now, if you run a Sabbath school and that's all you can do. Ladies and gentlemen, I challenge you. Call up those people in Sabbath school during the middle of the week. Pray for them. Visit them. Make sure your Sabbath school is one that grows. You want to bring them breakfast Sabbath morning? I'll show up as well. But when you spend time working at that ministry and making it a glory to God, God will bless you with even greater, more blessings. Can you say amen to that? Let's keep going. Resolution to what? Let's read it together. To par... Let's read it. Oh, come on, church family. Let's read it again. To what? Participate in the various ministries of the church and grow... That's... I need to grow on my grammar. Grow my talents. That what? God has given to me. By the way, you have just said that. Angels are paying attention. The angels are paying attention. Watch out if opportunities come to you today even. Alright, number four. What does a generous person look like? Now go ahead and meet with your groups right now. We got one more after this and we are finished. Turn to the person next to you and ask yourself the question, what does a generous Christian look like? What does a generous Christian look like? If you see somebody sitting by themselves, grab them, bring them in. They'll say, you look like a generous person. What does a generous person look like? 30 seconds. What does a generous Christian look like? Maybe a biblical example, maybe somebody in your life. What's a generous person look like? The Bible calls us to be giving Christians, selfless Christians. Jesus was a generous person. He epitomized generosity to this entire world. Okay, let's stop right now. All right, raise your hand. What's a generous person look like to you? Gary. Your mother-in-law. Praise the Lord. How about you, Millie? Who? Okay, you're giving a description. You say they're a happy person. That's true, right? Generous people are happy people. And that's not even recognized just only by people in the church, but people outside the church recognize a fundamental principle that being generous makes them happy. Anybody else? Alex? Praise the Lord, right? A person who gives with any thought of reward. Yes, Heidi? Someone who gives a lot of their time. Now let me ask you a question. Can you give me biblical examples of someone who is a generous person in Scripture? Raise your hand. The widow. Okay, very good. Yes, Daniel. Barnabas, right? Very good. He gave of his land. Yes, Sammy. That's right. Very good. Scott. Oh yeah, Zacchaeus, right? I mean, that brother was converted. He gave everything, right? Yes. Dorcas, very good. Michael. That's right. Yes, Todd. The woman at the well. Hmm. She was generous in the fact she came and brought people back, right? And Jesus even asked her for a cup of water. Anybody else? Millie. Nicodemus. After his conversion, right? Gave up everything he had. 
we have the story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus because Nicodemus recounted it to the disciples. He became a believer. Yes, Mary. Who? Rebecca. Okay. Yes. One more, Marta. Oh, the boy that gave away his lunch, right? Amen. How about you, AJ? Joseph, right? Joined in with him, right? You know what's so amazing? This was dawning on me, and some of you guys mentioned this. If you look at the life of Abraham, Abraham was a generous person. Even when he was older and Lot wanted the better land, you know what Abraham did? Abraham said, take what you want. And he could have chose the better part of the land. You know when those three angels came to him and one of them happened to be the Lord of the universe? Do you know what Abraham did? The Bible says he ran out to them and washed their feet and served them food. Do you remember after the king of Sodom went to war, was uh, captured and Abraham, you know, was able to save them and Lot? Do you remember what he said? He says, I'm not going to even take a sandal strap from you, lest you say, you have made Abraham rich. And I bring this up, ladies and gentlemen, because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, that he who gives increases and he who keeps to himself will become will have poverty. The fundamental principle of heaven is to give. And we as a church family, as we continue to grow and expand, God is calling us to be faithful, not just in our giving, but to the people around us. Let's read that resolution together. Wait a minute, look at that first word. Now, do you know how to wisely use your resources? If you don't, you need to be part of financial peace. Hopefully that's happening this year, right, Chris? Tell us the date. Amen. Right after church, I will. Okay. Wisely use... Let's read it together. Wisely use... Can you say amen to that? The key word is wisely, right? Be a a faithful person to the church. But learn how to be a a generous person. Now I know we're living in Modesto and part of series, we're living in series in Modesto. And there is a large homeless community in Modesto, right? And sometimes we kind of wrestle like, what do I do? Do I help them out? Do I help? Do I not? Here's the principle I live by. You can have your own principles, but I feel like God has blessed this. When I see somebody pulled over on the side of the road and they have like a flat tire or whatever, my general principle, if they're a female or if they're young, I will pull over. But if they're an able-bodied man, I will keep driving. Because if they don't know how to change a tire, then they need to spend at least two hours figuring out how to. Now, unless the Spirit of God says, Anel, I need you to go over and help me, I will totally do that. And the Lord has. But when it comes to many times a homeless person, I've had homeless people sometimes have come to me and they said, hey, can you help us out? I'm like, sure, I'll give you some money. Again, $5 one time. And this person says, hey, can you drop me off at the corner? I said, okay, drop them off. And they said, pull over right here. Pulled over. They walked right into the liquor store and walked out with some beer. And I put my head down. I said, ugh. But here's the thing. We've been giving counsel when it comes to helping out the homeless. We don't necessarily have to give money, but if someone asks you for food or clothing, do not hesitate. Do not hesitate to give people basic necessities, ladies and gentlemen. If, if, if they're shivering and they need a jacket, and all you have is the one jacket you have, you can go home, you got 20 jackets there, be a loving Christian and help them out. Amen? You may not want to give them money, and that's okay. You know what, I've been really challenged by this. I've been asking myself, how do I help people out? I live on the other side of Modesto, I run into a lot of homeless people. And so I've been thinking about actually just going to the local restaurant and buying a hundred dollars worth of five dollar gift certificates to get like, say, a veggie burger. There's no veggie burger around here. A veggie burrito, whatever it is, right? And so instead of giving people money, hey, I got some food for you. You can check this. Go to the local store. There's, you can get yourself something to eat. Right? So I really challenge you. Be generous. In fact, try 2015. Say, okay, God, I want to start being a generous person. You will see what God does. He is so waiting to use you. There's people who are genuinely in need. Can you say amen to that? Let's continue. This is the last resolution. Our last question, why is a devotional life necessary for my spiritual growth? Let's meet together. This is going to be the last time you guys are meeting this. 
So let's do that. Turn to the person next to you. Ask yourself the question, why is a devotional life necessary for my growth, spiritual growth? So don't look at me, look to the person next to you. And what I mean by devotional life, I mean spending time daily in the Word of God. Why is the devotional life necessary? Husbands, don't be afraid to ask your wife this question. Wives, don't be afraid to ask your husbands this question. Okay. Okay, raise your hand. I want to hear people from here, people who haven't said anything yet. Why is the devotional life necessary for spiritual growth? Yes. For what? To build up your spiritual life, right? Very good. Why is it why is the devotional life Bev? So God can speak to you. Very, very good. And we want to hear the voice of God every day. Amen. Anybody else? Yes. Bless. If you don't grow together, you'll grow apart. Mm, praise the Lord. That's very good. I love that. Anybody else? Why is the devotional life necessary for spiritual growth? Yes, Renella. Amen. Do you guys hear what she said? She says, we need to experience every day reconversion. Every single day. And we spend time at the Word of God. The Bible says it is a sword. God wants to cut you up, but He wants to cut away the evil. Amen? Why else is a devotional life? Chris? Why don't you read it and say it again? So I could be of some usefulness to humanity for the day. Amen. Right? You spend time with the infinite God, right? You'll be able to bless people. Jesus said, I sanctify myself that I might sanctify others. You don't spend time with the Word of God. You don't come out like Jesus. You come out like the devil. Yes, Todd. That's right. Without daily food, right, you wither and die. Scott. By beholding, we become change. Amen? Now, here's the thing. I was studying. We have one more? Yes, Nicole. That's right. It does, right? You spend time. You seek first the kingdom of God, right? And all these things will be added to you. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason I bring this up, because when it comes to 2015, we need to have a better devotional experience. Our communion needs to be more deeper with the Lord. We need to grow closer. But not just that, we need to make an effort to start memorizing Scripture. It blew my mind away when I was studying the Bible this week. You remember when the devil came to Jesus and the devil said, you know, turn this stone into bread or cast yourself off this temple or uh, worship me? Do you know what Jesus quoted every time? He quoted what? The scripture. But notice this. Jesus didn't tell the devil, hey, hold on one second. Can you stop for a second? He's like, let me go to the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter, hold on one second. Chapter 6. Looking at verse 4. You can turn your Bibles to page 325 if you want. No, he didn't do that, right? What did Jesus do? He immediately quoted scripture. Why? Because he had memorized scripture. Ladies and gentlemen, many times we're, we're thrown off by the devil, we're pushed around by Satan, because at the time we should have been quoting promises to God, we're searching and we can't even, there's nothing there. I was really challenged by this, that we need to start making an effort to memorize scripture. And you think it's too hard. Ladies and gentlemen, if you memorize one verse a day, Imagine what will take place. I guarantee a transformation. Even spend two weeks doing this, saying, I'm going to memorize one verse a day. And if all you can remember is John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept for your first scripture, that's okay. Amen? You need to start memorizing scripture. You need to take in the word of God. Right? There was actually a man, I forget his name, is B.R. Spears. Anybody heard of him? He was a minister that had memorized the entire scripture. And he was paralyzed. Can you imagine someone who had memorized the entire Bible? They're just sitting there like this. And you're like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm actually reading the Bible right now. Amen? 
We need to spend time meditating upon the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. And as it becomes part of our experiences, when temptations and dangers come, the promises of God will be able to emerge and we'll be able to fight Satan back. Amen. This is a resolution that I think is extremely important. So let's read it together. Our final resolution. Spend time each day in the Word and the what? Now stop right here. You know why this is so amazing? I really want to challenge you, in addition to reading your Bible, to read at least one or two Ellen White books before the summer. I actually finished today for the first time, Ministry of Healing. I read it straight through. I've read portions of it, but I have finally finished it today. And it was awesome when I reached that last chapter because it it has changed me. It actually has changed me. And I have felt my ministry and my devotional experience grow more and more. So I really want to challenge you. You start praying. Say, I'm going to finish this Ellen White book. Once, one or two of them before the summer. Let's read again from the very beginning. Spend time each day in the what? In the word. And the? And to what? Memorize the what? Promises of God. Now, just to recap, what's the first resolution? (laughs) Taking notes. What's the first resolution? Praying for what? Praying for your church. Praying for your pastor. Praying for your community. And praying for what? A deeper experience. Resolution one. Resolution two. Yes. Attending church when? Regularly, right? Very good. Resolution number three. Participating in various ministries of the church, right? God wants you to be part of the body, not just part of the form, right? The living part of the church. Resolution number four. Wisely use your resources, right? Being a generous person and being faithful to your tithes and offerings, right? The last resolution. Let's do this. Memorize the resolutions first, okay? Start memorizing scripture after, right? Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to a higher experience. Amen? And we as a church, if we just follow and let these tune-ups happen, we will see our experience become greater in 2015. We will see our communion with God grow stronger. We will see ourselves grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And nothing in this world will be able to shake us. How many people want this higher experience 2015? Amen. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray. Let's consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Father in heaven, God, we learned last week that the human will is broken. And these resolutions are great, but God, unless you work in us both to will and do of your good pleasure, it'll never happen. So perhaps the first thing we need to understand, God, we want you abiding in our heart each and every day. And as we grow together as a church, and as we go forward as a people, we pray more and more that our experience will be pleasing to you. Jesus, we want you to be pleased with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.